Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Amen. Jake said grab one of those bags. I want y'all to grab 10 of them, okay? Can you do that? I want you to have, have I know you just didn't mean just one, but, but uh, grab a bunch of those bags and just give them out to as many people as possible, all right? Hey, go ahead and get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start with verse 50 today. Uh, while you're doing that, a couple things here. First, be in prayer. We're going to pray. I just want us to pray for my wife. She's, she's really under the weather. With, she's been dealing with high fever. Uh, and, and so just want to pray for her healing today. And also, we just want to keep praying for Tim Bobo. He's not able to be with us this morning, but his body's retaining a lot of fluids, and he, needs, he really needs that healing. So would you guys pray with me? We lost the band, but that's okay. We'll, let's just, please just pray with me. God, I thank you so much that you are our healer, that you are there to heal and to, and, and to strengthen. And so first of all, I just pray for my wife, Rebecca. I pray for her healing at this fever. Whatever's causing it will be gone in Jesus' name. And we also pray for Tim. I pray for Tim Bobo. We pray for his body and this retention of these fluids as, as, uh, as he's trying to uh, really by faith overcome cancer that, that's, uh, that's, that's infected his body. So we pray for healing for his body and strength in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Yeah, while you're looking up that passage, uh, which is, uh, it's Matthew 27, 50. Leave it up there for a second so everybody can find it. But uh, I want to let you know that on, su- that on Wednesday, I'm continuing with a new series on my Tim at 12. And that's my, that's my weekly Bible study. And it's called the Elijah Anointing, Fire and Faith. And, and this week I'm talking about how about how God, uh, how about God deals with situations of tragedy, and how we can deal with situations with tragedy. So my message is entitled "When Tragedy Strikes," and uh, and and it'll, 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 I believe it'll be an encouragement to you guys because every single person faces tragedy, and that's available on the City Life app uh, right at noon on Facebook and YouTube as well. Plus, it's there; it stays on demand for uh, for months or even years afterwards. All right, but uh, we're continuing with a series here on Sunday mornings called The Greatest Reset. And, and just under 2,000 years ago, the greatest reset ever happened um, in, in Jerusalem. It was where, actually where it was initiated, and it changed this world forever, but it also changes our lives if we let it. So it's all about what happened at the cross. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at the moment of Jesus' final breath, what happens is as his spirit departed his body, there was this violent earthquake, and it was, uh, it, it was a shaking that let everybody who was there know that something supernatural was happening. So my message title today is called The Shaking. You know, earthquakes, uh, they, they have... They have a natural origin. Um, I, I believe, though, that also God uses them 
for his purposes, and according to the scriptures, that, that's, that's very clear. In fact, the Bible talks about earthquakes as being expressions of God's power, expressions of his presence and his wrath. It's also said that in the future that there will be earthquakes, which will be a sign of Christ's coming and even the end of the world. So earthquakes have something to do quite often, I believe, with, uh, with what God is doing. I don't, that, I don't think it necessarily does every single time, but there are also supernatural earthquakes, and I believe God can sometimes and has initiated earthquakes, and, and, and possibly the earth itself has responded in an earthquake because of something that's happening in the supernatural realm with the presence of God, according, again, according to the scriptures. But how many of you guys have been through an earthquake where you felt the ground shaking? Yeah. All right. Well, you know, around here, we don't feel them very much. Uh, thank God we don't have those destructive earthquakes around here. Uh, I, I live in a two-story house, so when you're upstairs at night, you, know, you, can, you can occasionally feel one of those random little tremblers that we have around here. They're not, they're not major earthquakes or anything like that. But, but one time I was at this conference in St. Louis. And St. Louis, as you know, sits right there at the Mississippi River Valley. And, and that, is, that is an earthquake zone. And, uh, and I was there at a conference in the evening. I was just wrapping some stuff up in my room. I was on the fifth floor of a hotel. And I heard this roar that sounded like a massive semi outside. And and the building was shaking. I thought, man, that truck... Uh, that's a big truck shaking the building. Well, a- after a couple seconds, I realized, wait, wait, wait. There is no way that a truck is going to be that loud, and, the- and it's actually going to shake a huge building like what I'm in. And, and I-, I kept feeling it. I could hear things shaking. I could see things shaking. And-, and that roar just continued. It was just steady until for about 25 seconds, and it finally stopped. And the whole time, I was just going, okay, that- this-, this, is- this is an earthquake. And thank God everything was okay. But that was the one that I really, really felt, and I even heard it. Uh, and I, the next day, I, I checked the, the media, and sure enough, there was this, there was this earthquake that was there in the Mississippi River Valley, and uh, and you know, it was it was definitely an experience. And I, I'm just glad to say I've never been in a major earthquake. Where I don't know if any of you have, but I'm just really, really glad I've never had to experience that. Hope I never do. But but the truth is, is that. Uh, Earthquakes happen. And in today's passage that we're going to look at, you're going to see that there was this shaking that took place in Jerusalem uh, while Jesus was on the cross. Now, I, I, I decided to do a lot of research on this. In fact, I'd research all my messages. But, but as, as I was researching this, I, I found out, I discovered this last week, that, that earthquakes seldom happen in Jerusalem. They just, they just don't happen there very often, and it's because of its unique location and also its elevation. So this particular shaking would have been very frightening for the residents and the people of this city. It was a violent earthquake, and, and it wasn't just an earthquake that occurred. And the, at, the, at the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, really four things happened almost simultaneously. So there was the shaking. There was also... The veil of the temple, which was torn in two, uh, the, the scriptures say that rocks begin splitting and that, and that tombs were opened up. And, and we're going to talk about all that today. Now, 
After about three hours of darkness, which I talked about this last week, we pick up on the story in Matthew chapter number 27, verse 50. And I'd like for you to follow along with me in your Bibles today. All right, take a look at this, Matthew 27, 50. It says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and rocks were split. Now hold your place there. We're going to come back to this passage in a second. Uh, This was a supernatural event, and this supernatural event got the attention of everyone. And I discovered this, that NBC News actually published a story about this. And we can trust NBC News, right? So, yeah, well, we're we're going to go ahead and trust them, because geologists... Geologists say that Jesus was most likely crucified. This is according to NBC News. Geologists say that Jesus was most likely crucified on April 3rd, Friday, April 3rd of the year 33, 33 AD. NBC News said this. It says, the latest investigation reported by the International Geological Review focused on earthquake evidence in the Dead Sea located about 13 miles from Jerusalem. They say that the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, mentions an earthquake that coincides with the crucifixion of Jesus. And they they said using the Bible's historic record, along with the earthquake evidence in the area and data from the Jewish calendar and astronomical calculations, these secular geologists, secular geologists, they have said this, Friday, April 3rd, 33, is the date of the crucifixion. And what I love this is, as I was calculating this, I thought this is exactly 1,990 years ago tomorrow. Is that incredible? I mean, geologists, they say the earthquake happened and they've assigned a date to it. We've always said 33 AD, but I didn't know that, that, uh, that secular geologists have actually put a date on this thing. Then the scriptures are very clear about what happened on that particular day. Now, one of the things that happened during the shaking is is a tearing of the veil that was in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, uh, the temple had this veil in it, and it it was a very thick fabric veil. It was about four inches thick. Now, that's huge. It didn't have any kind of an opening. It was just simply solid fabric. Now, I know in some of the movies you've seen like it tore the veil and then someone tears a bed sheet in half. That is not what happened at all. And, uh, and, and, and it's, it's also called a curtain, but it's not like the curtains in your house. Trust me, not at all. See, this curtain was about the height of the iconic Flatiron building, which is located just seven blocks straight over to our east. Uh, that's about how tall, that's about how high it was. And so you see, this, th- this veil was not just some decorative, foo-foo little thing that was in the temple. No, this was literally a massive fabric wall. It was blue and scarlet and purple. And what it did is it separated two parts of the temple. It separated the holy place, which is where certain priests would come and perform ministry on a daily basis, from another place called the Most Holy Place, also known as the Holy of Holies. And this partition, what it did is it separated 
uh, this particular room from the rest of the temple. There, because the most holy place was, of course, the most holy place. The name of it describes it. It's the most holy place that was in the temple. And and understand this, in the most holy place, which again, was very, very high, uh, and, and it, but it was, it, it was a restricted access area. It was separated from everything else because only once a year could a person go in there. And only one particular person could go in there, and that had to be the high priest. And this high priest would go through all of these rituals in order to make sure he was completely clean and completely pure before he went in there. This would have been the highest-ranking religious leader, and that's important. And he would go in and offer a sacrifice once a year on the Day of Atonement, which is also known as Yom Kippur. And this was an annual sacrifice. He would do, they would do this once a year. And the sacrifice was brought into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And, and that would cover, the blood of that sacrifice would cover the sins of all God's people for a year. Now, that was pretty awesome. So the high priest, what he would do is he would stand inside the most holy place on the other side of the veil, the curtain, and this is where the Ark of the Covenant would have sat. And the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which is also known as the mercy seat, is where he would place the blood of the sacrifice. Uh, in fact, the mercy seat is also known as the throne of God. That's where, that's where, uh, that's where the, the blood was put and and, and this, was the, uh, this was the ritual that they were to go through every single year uh, to cover the sins of God's people. Now, I want you to understand this. When Jesus died, his death was the final sacrifice for our sin. And he didn't, he didn't have to do it just once a year. Jesus, as our high priest, he did it for eternity. And it doesn't just, he doesn't just cover our sin, he forgives our sins. And so the beauty of this is, this is why we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore. The blood of Jesus covers, I mean, again, doesn't just cover our sin, but it wipes it out. It, it, it makes, it does more than all of the previous sacrifices that ever happened in the most holy place. So the blood of Jesus, what it does is it forgives gives and it eliminates sin. It literally goes away. Because of the blood of Jesus, when, when the blood of Jesus is applied to your life, you are as if you have never sinned. Now, you might not feel it. You might remember your sin. Of course you do, because you, we don't have this selective thing of forgetting. But, uh, but, but you, when you receive the blood of Jesus, you receive his cleansing. It is as if you have never, ever sinned in your life. Now, that is quite amazing. Now, when the temple veil was torn in two during this shaking, uh, it became really, really clear that other sacrifices would not need to be offered again. You see, prior to the, uh, the tearing of this veil, God's presence dwelt right there in the most holy place, uh, right there between the wings of the cherubim on, on the Ark of the Covenant. And since there could be no sin in the presence of God, uh, that's why they had this massive curtain which prevented anyone who was 
unholy or who would have carried in any of even the soot from the world, if they carried that in there, they would have literally been struck dead. According to tradition, when the high priest would go into the holy holies and there's, there's no entrance to it at all, it's believed that, that they would have literally been, been transferred through this veil in there. They would have a rope tied around their ankle. And, uh, and they would also have bells on their feet so they could hear when he was moving around. But if the high priest, if the noise stopped, they would have realized that the high priest is, has been struck dead and they would use the rope to literally pull him out. Now that's how serious it was in the presence of God right there in the Holy of Holies. So, so people knew this. That's where God was. But no one other than the high priest once a year actually had access to the presence of God. Can you imagine that? One of the things that we enjoy as believers, we enjoy intimacy with the Lord. I, you know, I'm believing that, that uh, Saturday evening at 6 p.m., when we come together for prayer, there's going to be intimacy in this room and the presence of God. But people couldn't enjoy that back then. But things changed because at the moment of Jesus' death, this, the, the sacrificial lamb of God... <laughs> who is Jesus, God then tore that veil, that massive curtain, beginning at the top all the way down to the bottom so that everyone could have access to the presence of God and we could do it because of the blood of Jesus. Praise God. I I think that's pretty awesome. So so the the torn veil, just don't forget this, it gives us access literally to the throne of God. You can go boldly into his presence. That torn veil is an open door to his presence and we experience his presence through worship. We experience his presence through prayer and, and, and we can do so, thank God, with no fear of the wrath of God. Why? It's because of what Jesus did for us, the scriptures say that we are in Christ. Uh, we're, we're literally in Christ. We are in the high priest. So when the Father sees us and we're moving into God's presence, and the Father sees us, He doesn't literally see you. He sees Jesus because you are He is uh, because we are in Him, and He sees the perfect sacrifice. He sees His Son, and He knows that there's complete purity there because of the blood of Jesus. So God receives us into His presence with no judgment. Guys, that is awesome. That's beautiful. Now, what happened on that day, though, with that shaking and the tearing of the veil, I mean, this must have had a, a dramatic impact on the people who were, uh, who were there, the people who were experiencing it and seeing it and feeling it. Uh, and, and, and part of it is, I believe, that even in the temple, the people who saw that temple veil tear, they were realizing that, that the old system was being done away with and there was a new door of opportunity that was opening up. And I'll tell you, what happened on that day is nothing short of the goodness and the love and the mercy and the grace of our almighty God. But there's more to the story. Look back in the text, Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. We're going to start from the beginning again. It says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and rocks were split. Also, the tombs were opened. 
And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now again, hold your place right there. So I want you to see this. During this shaking, as Jesus' spirit, as it departed his body on the cross, his spirit went to a place called Hades. Uh, and, and, and this is... And, and this is at the time when the shaking was actually happening. This is the time when the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. This is the moment when the rocks began splitting and the tombs began opening. So, get this. The shaking, it opened up tombs. These tombs were built into the hillsides and into the cliffs. And, and, uh, and they would have been sealed with huge boulders. A, quite a bit different than what we see as a typical cemetery in, in today's world. And, and, uh, and these huge boulders were moved out of the way, essentially unsealing these particular graves. Now, I believe this was also in preparation for Resurrection Day because as we just read, that, uh, that when, when Jesus rose from the dead, that, that other righteous people whose tombs had been opened, they were literally resurrected as well. They came back to life and literally walked back home. Now, that, my friend, is supernatural. And, you, and I know there are some people who say, well, we can explain a lot of this away. Well, you might be able to try to explain some of this away, but this is much more than some kind of a natural occurrence uh, because I believe it was much more than that. Here's what I believe. I believe that what happened with the shaking that day was a literal seismic event that was triggered by Jesus' spirit departing his body and going down through the earth's crust into the depths of the earth. Now, we see all kinds of scriptures talking about this. And, and his, his body, his, his spirit was actually going into Hades. And this journey into Hades, you can put those scriptures up there so that we can see which ones they are. If y'all want to write all those down and look them all up later, you feel free to do so. But the journey to Hades is mentioned like several times in scriptures. It's spoken of in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Now, there these references are some of the occasions where it's talked about in the scriptures. Now, when you're in the Old and New Testament, there's a little teaching portion here. Hades is the New Testament Greek word that, uh, that talks of that. Actually, the definition of it is the lower parts of the earth. There's a, there's a different word that's used in the Old Testament, but it means exactly the same thing. In the Old Testament, the word is Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. And that literally means the same thing, the lower parts of the earth. Now, please know this, Sheol, Hades is not hell. A lot of people get confused by that. There are some translations of the Bible that say that. That's not the case because nobody is in hell. Hell doesn't, no, nothing is there. Nobody is there until after the judgment. So, so Hades, what it is, to see the, the incredible impact of this, this is the place where the, the souls and the spirits of the people who have died, that's where they are being kept. It's, it's like a holding place for people who are awaiting the resurrection and also the judgment of God. Now, this is where Jesus descended. His spirit descended there through the crust of the earth. And I believe that is what initiated this shaking because immediately when he got down there uh, into the depths of the earth, into Hades, this shaking was happening. In fact, in fact, we know that he was down there because Jesus even told the repentant thief that he was going to see him in paradise that very day. Now, now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, 
Well, up until the time of Christ, up until the time when he went there, Hades was actually separated into two compartments. There were two sides. There were two parts to it. One was a section of comfort. The other section was a section of torment. The unrighteous went to the section of torment. Again, it's not hell, but it's a place of torment. The righteous would go to this place of comfort. And that place of comfort in Hades is known as paradise. That's the place where Abraham is, because in some places in your Bible, you might see where it's called Abraham's bosom. A a better translation would be Abraham's side. So in other words, in paradise, you're right there with Abraham, the father of our faith, which is pretty awesome. But while he was there in Hades, the first thing that he did, his spirit went there, and, and, and I believe the action that he took is what caused what was actually causing this rumbling that the earth was reacting to and the shaking that was actually happening deep below the earth's crust. See, our all-powerful God, with all of his authority, Jesus Christ has now had authority over death and Hades. And, and, that, and what he did is he took the keys to death and the keys to Hades and he took them from them. Now understand, death is a spirit, Hades is a place. So he took the ownership of death and Hades from Satan and he now owns that. Now that is, that is part of the beauty of what happened. But that, was, that also caused a huge rumbling in the spirit world and a huge rumbling and a shaking on the earth as well. Now, now he has authority. He has authority over death. He has authority over Hades. And remember, in the Bible, earthquakes are mentioned as tokens of God's power and of his presence and of, and of his wrath. So this event that happened was so spectacular that the people who were experiencing it there in Jerusalem, they recognized this was supernatural. But not all of them. Actually, it was the most pagan among them that recognized that God was doing something. I think that's a good sign for all of us. Sometimes we tend to write things off as like, well, that wasn't God. But the unrighteous picked up on something. Something supernatural is happening here. Take a look back in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7, verse 54. It says, Now as for the centurion... And those who were keeping, who, who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the other things that were happening, they became extremely frightened and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. So these Roman soldiers and their, their captain, which was these Roman centurion, these, again, are not followers of Jesus. These are not Jews. They have no knowledge of the scriptures at all. They were simply men who were sent there. Uh, they, they were actually serving in the Roman occupation of, of Israel at the time, and they were just simply sent there to uh, keep peace over a public execution. So in other words, it was kind of just like another day on the job for them. A gruesome job, but a job nonetheless. But these pagans experienced these supernatural events that were going on. It's like what they felt, what they saw, what they realized was going on. And it says that fear gripped their hearts and they knew that it was nothing normal. They, they knew, these, the centurion and these soldiers, they knew. And, and, and as they were watching this, this crucifixion, as they watched Jesus breathe his last breath, as his spirit left and all of these things happened, they 
testified out loud. They said Jesus was the Son of God. This was the Son of God. And it took a shaking for them to actually recognize it. But they did. And he is now the crucified Son of God. And the crucified Son of God is the God that we come to worship week after week after week. I'll tell you guys, we can never, ever, ever forget what happened on the cross. I don't want you to, we can't forget it. Because this, this shaking was the greatest reset that, that mankind had ever known. But that shaking can also reset your life as well in a very powerful and intimate way. Here in a few minutes, we're going to be doing, doing corporate communion. I just want to talk about it for a second here. Uh, when we receive communion in a few minutes, what we're actually doing is we're remembering, we're reflecting upon what Christ did for us on the cross. I'm going to read to you a passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. 23. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, see, this is a command that we do this until Jesus comes again. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. And Holy Communion, what it is, it's this living illustration that we should never, ever take lightly. We shouldn't just do it as some religious, perfunctory exercise that we kind of just walk through. No, no, no. We must do this so that we will never, ever forget what Jesus dealt with on the cross. But before we take communion, I want us to take a little deeper look into what happened at the cross. Now, I have a lot of scriptures I can share with you on this, but interestingly enough, I, I found something else. Back in 1986, the AMA, the American Medical Association itself, did a study on the crucifixion. Now, these are medical experts, and I think we should listen to what the medical experts actually say about what they found in the scriptures and what they know from history and what actually happened there at the cross. This, this article, if you ever would want to look it up, it's called The Physical Death of Jesus Christ, put out by the AMA in 1986. But this article details the entire process of Jesus' trial until his death on the cross. In Luke chapter number 22, before Jesus was, uh, before Jesus was arrested, it says that his body his whole system was in great distress and he was sweating blood. The Bible tells us about that. But that's something known as hematidrosis. And looking into this, is it's a very rare condition. It happens very, very rarely. But it only happens to a person who is under excruciatingly high levels of emotional and mental anguish where they literally began to sweat blood. It's, 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 it's this incredible mental stress. You see, because Jesus knew what was coming. And crucifixion was actually the very worst form of punishment that, that existed at that time. And it was held for only the most despised and, and, and the filthiest criminals. 
But see, that's not all that Jesus Christ faced. He endured this whipping. And according to the AMA and their studies, they said that this whipping would have tore the flesh from his body. The whipping and the beating was so intense that his face was torn. They even ripped out his beard. They took this crown of thorns and and it was two to three inches long and, and, and it cut deeply into his scalp and it was shoved onto his head to mock him as a king. The leather whip that was used to flog him, it would have had these tiny, these tiny iron balls and also sharp bone attached to it. And AMA says that these bone, the, these, these little balls would have caused intense uh, internal injury as, as it was hitting his body. And this was what Jesus was going through for us. It says that his skeletal muscles, his veins, and even his bowels were exposed. It would have caused major blood loss. They say that most men could never survive the kind of punishment that Jesus actually went through. See, Jesus was severely flogged, but not only that, he was forced to carry his own cross. And as he was carrying his own cross, he was mocked and laughed at and he was spat upon. See, cru- crucifixion, it, it, was, it was the process uh, that, was, that, that the Romans had come up with that would cause excruciating pain and it would cause this slow agonizing death nails as long as eight inches were driven into Jesus wrist and his feet and they say that the Roman soldiers would have known that that tendons in the wrist are going to tear and that it would then force whoever was nailed to a cross like that to to use their back muscles to support themselves to breathe. So it would have been this, this, this struggle, this pain. But I also think about the courage of Jesus going through with that because you know he could have at any moment said, I don't want to go through with this. Let the angels come and deliver me. But he didn't. He continued to go through it. He endured this for several hours. The Gospel of John tells us also that after Jesus' death, a Roman soldier even pierced his side with a spear. It says that blood and water came out. And the medical people say this is called hypovolemic shock. It's this, it's where a rapid heart rate and uh, it causes this fluid to gather in a sack around the lungs and heart. And, and, and Jesus, the creator of man himself, let all of this happen to him. Why? Because he loves you so much. And he doesn't want you spending an eternity in hell. Now, I know to the world, Christianity looks like something that's just about as foolish as it can get. Christianity is looked at as something that's only for weak people. But when you're confronted with the reality of the cross, you have to understand it is not a pretty sight. It is brutal and it is horrific. And to top it off, Jesus, he, he carried a much heavier weight than we can even imagine when he was on that cross because he also bore the sins of all the world. And he did this so that we could live and that sin was judged on the cross. I want you to understand, God 
must judge sin. There is no way around it. God must do so. But God loved us so much that he put all of that judgment and all of that wrath on Jesus as Jesus became sin for us. There he is on the cross, sin, nailed to the cross, experiencing the full, unrelenting wrath of God. And that caused everything to change. And we're the recipients of the goodness of that on the other side. That's why I say this is truly the greatest reset that had ever happened in history and, and that, that carries us on. It carries us on in this life and also into eternity with Jesus. So how do you engage that? How do you make that happen? Well, it's real simple. You have to repent and believe. You have to. You need to accept the sacrifice that was made for your sin. You see, your sin, even though you've sinned after Jesus Christ died on the cross, that sin, the all-knowing God, put that sin on Jesus as well. Why? So that you don't have to experience the penalty, the judgment, the wrath of God for your own sin. Some will. Some will. And it won't be pretty. But Jesus, our Savior, Jesus Christ loves you so much so much that he went through this incredible spiritual and physical punishment and anguish so that your sins and that my sins would be gone forever. That is Christianity in a nutshell. Jesus is Lord. He's the almighty God. He gives us access to the everlasting Father. And a day... As we begin this holy week, I want you to reflect deeply on what Jesus Christ did for you. Tomorrow is the 1,990th anniversary of what actually happened on the cross. What happened then still applies to today. In just a moment, as we share communion, we have to make sure our hearts are right as well. In fact, we shouldn't take communion until our hearts are clean. If you're here this morning and you're not in right relationship with Jesus, if there's, there's sin in your life, if you're not serving God, if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, Make sure that you deal with that before we go any further today. Make sure you deal with that before we go through this sacred act of holy communion. But everyone just bow your head across this room. Jesus gave his life for you, and, and the New Testament tells us that we're supposed to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. We're to do a self-exam right now. Not a physical exam, but a spiritual exam. Examine yourself. And if there's sin in your life, or you, you've, you've never even given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to pray with you right now. We're going to lead you in a prayer before we go into communion. So I'd like for you to, at the count of three, lift your hands so that I can see it. I want to connect my faith with you so that as we pray this prayer, the miracle of forgiveness, the miracle of salvation is yours. 
So before we have communion, if you need Jesus in your life, you need that sin forgiven, you want to give your life to Christ, lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift it up for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you. You've made the right choice, and I want you to pray these words with me. Church, pray these words with everyone else as an encouragement to them because people are walking from eternal death into eternal life right now. Pray this, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. Today I make the choice to give up my past and embrace the future that you have for me. Wash me in your blood that was shed on Calvary. And I receive transformation in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.